Welcome back to another edition of the Educational AD Podcast. We couldn't do these without the incredible support of our sponsors, and we want to take a moment to thank all of them. First, thanks to our diamond sponsor, Varsity Brands, including BSN, Varsity Spirit, and Herf Jones. Varsity Brands, elevating student experiences in sport, spirit, and achievement. We also want to thank our platinum sponsors, including Ephesus Lighting, innovating a brighter future at every level. Camp Mobile, where leaders communicate better. Hometown Ticketing, simple and easy online ticketing. Vital Signs, bring student achievements to life. And Gipper, sports graphics made incredibly simple. Thanks to all of our great sponsors. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. Our guest today is uh, NIAAA legend, if I dare say so, Mr. Gary Stevens. Gary is a certified master athletic administrator. He's currently the director of student activities at Thornton Academy in the great state of Maine. He's also been very active over his career, uh, not just with his state association, but with NIAAA. And he's probably one of, if not the most uh, published athletic directors in our profession. Uh, Gary, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Jake. It's great to be here. And uh, thank you for the invitation. Looking forward to spending some time, uh, at least virtually, with colleagues from all over the country. Oh, oh, absolutely. We're excited to have you uh, on and, and share a little bit of your story. Um, we always like to let our listeners have a chance to get to know our guests. And, uh, you know, you and I have been doing this for a long time, but um, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, where you grew up, where you went to school and college, and, and maybe how your love of sports, you know, led to this career in athletic administration. Well, I, I will tell you, Jake, that from where I started, I don't think it was a given that uh, uh, our paths would cross today. I, I could never have envisioned growing up in Lincoln, Maine, which is a, a, a small community, about 6,000 people located about 40 uh, air miles from the uh, Canadian border. In fact, the, the main expression is as the crow flies. Uh, the community I grew up in uh, was a paper mill town. In fact, uh, it was a blessing for me to grow up in the paper mill town and that for uh, three summers I was able to uh, work in the paper mill to uh, help pay my way through college um, and, uh, and, and have some great opportunities from there. Um, I, uh, I was born in 1961. I graduated from high school, uh, uh, a school called the Madinocook Academy, which had about 500 students when I, uh, I, I went to school there. Now it's a it's uh, in part of the high 300s. And in fact, my younger sister's the superintendent of schools in the community where we both grew up. But uh, uh, athletics has always been something that's been a great passion of mine. Uh, my father was a teacher coach in a, a neighboring community uh, and he did it all in his school. He was uh, uh, not only the, the history teacher and the math teacher, but he also coached girls basketball and softball and he, ran the spelling bees and he was the principal. So he really was a jack of all trades. And, and uh, as it turned out, probably was my greatest influence, my greatest mentor growing up. Um, I always, uh, as I said, I've had, had a love of athletics when I was five years old. I, uh, I kept my father's scorebook. In fact, I continued pretty much until I went to junior high school. And I always used to get a rush on, because on, he would let me go on the road trips with him and sit in the front. And uh, he would always trust my book as opposed to his normal bookkeeper, even though I was, I was an elementary school kid, but had a chance to be around sports and enjoy watching competition and seeing the good things that it brought out and the community pride and, and all those types of things. Um, I was never very athletic myself, probably one of the least athletic uh, people who serve in this profession in this country. So I probably am not going to be the first person uh, picked on on NIAAA uh, softball uh, team or basketball team. Uh, I certainly wasn't, uh, uh, growing up in Lincoln, Maine, I was not the first picked on the kickball uh, uh, recess games either, I can tell you that. 
But, uh, and I, I tried out for numerous teams uh, throughout my middle school years and in my high school teams. And, and I, I just, I, I always got cut. I stayed active in athletics as team manager, statistician. I did a lot of other types of roles. And what ironically happened was that those, those activities and those opportunities gave me a chance to learn and practice and exercise skills that I would use uh, throughout my, my career as an educator and a coach and an athletic administrator, and I still use them today. I learned at a very young age how to tabulate our, our basketball standings, which involves a very uh, complicated process here in Maine called the heel point system. Uh, I was taught that by a coach. Uh, learned how to from another coach how to keep uh, the baseball scorebook and some other types of things, which again had uh, application for me later on. I was given a lot of responsibilities in terms of managing equipment, game day services, working with game officials, uh, publicity, all sorts of different types of things. And I was able to translate those eventually into a, a career. Um, I, I remember on our class day, my senior year in high school, um, the, uh, my, my class prophecy was that one day I was going to become the commissioner of Major League Baseball, the, uh, the uh, commissioner of the National, National Basketball Association. I was going to take Pete Rozelle's job with the NFL. I was going to be the new head of the NHL and also... Uh, the, uh, the head of the World Wrestling Federation. So that was my, my projection. I was going to be all those people because people knew my love of sports, uh, understood my passion, my organization. And although none of those things came true, it's sort of ironic in that uh, here as a high school athletic director in Maine, I am responsible for managing basketball and uh, baseball and, and hockey and football. And uh, we even had uh, wrestling in my previous school uh, not the WWE blend, but certainly uh, um, we had uh, amateur wrestling. So uh, I've, that prophecy, I guess, sort of came true. Um, I was always, as a, as a student growing up, very serious about my studies. And in fact, I, I often tell people who don't believe this, I said, my passion probably for history is greater than it is for athletics. I'm just an avid reader of history and I enjoy C-SPAN 3, and I enjoy current events, and that type of thing, and um, I actually turned that into my college major, and so upon my high school graduation in 1979, uh, I left my, my, my home state, uh, went to Boston, and just had a wonderful opportunity to uh, attend Harvard University for four years, which uh, I was the, actually the first uh, student in history of my school to have that opportunity. I had a, a connection through actually our... our uh, the priest of the uh, church that I attended uh, had been an alumnus, and he, he he called me to his office uh, one day and and suggested I may want to try that and uh, apply, go through the process, and uh, I did, and and um, and had a great opportunity. Uh, obviously, not being uh, very athletic in high school, uh, I was not able to uh, participate in terms of any collegiate athletics, but I was very involved in intramurals. I um, actually had my first athletic administration job my junior year at, uh, at Harvard. We, uh, we had a, an intramural league uh, that competed for something called the Strauss Cup. And Harvard is broken up into different housing units. And my house, Lowell House, had about 350 students. Each of the houses had a team. And we, we were not the most athletic house at Lowell either. We, we had a lot of scholars. And we had a lot of artsy people, not a great number of athletes. Uh, most of the, the, the real athletic types tended to go to some one of the other houses. But uh, I was in charge, along with another student, of running our intramural program, which involved going to meetings every month with the director of intramurals, uh, Floyd Wilson, who was, uh, had been the, the basketball coach at Harvard just before Satch Sanders took over um, when he retired from the Celtics. And uh, Floyd ran our intramural program. And we all had monthly meetings and we did scheduling and compared rosters. And it was really a precursor to what I ended up doing as an adult. And it gave me an opportunity to, to meet a lot of great people um, and make some great connections. I also at the same time was working as a sports reporter, which ties into probably to my interest in writing. Um, I worked for the Harvard Independent, which was uh, a, a, a campus a weekly that came out. It was the, the real rival paper at Harvard was the Crimson. It's still produced daily. It's the only daily newspaper that comes out of Cambridge, Mass. 
But uh, we had a wonderful um, staff with that newspaper, and I had a chance to uh, interview some some really great people. I, my favorite interview was probably Bill Cleary, who was the head coach at Harvard uh, of their hockey team, had been a, uh, uh, a 1960 Olympian, had won a gold medal. His daughter was in my class. In fact, she was also one of the uh, secretaries for another house, so knew who she was, and, and he was just a wonderful interview. And I got to meet some really great people such as that. And uh, it just was a, a great opportunity for me to, to hone my writing skills, to, again, meet people and be involved in athletics, even though I myself was, uh, was not on a, on a varsity team. Um, my, my goal as I, as I finished up in 1983 was actually to uh, um, maybe take a, a couple of years off from the academic rigor. Uh, and, and Harvard does have a pretty rigorous um, academic pace. Being a history major, on average, I had to read about a thousand pages a week and uh, a lot of writing. And just it was, a, it, was, it was a very heavy course load in terms of homework and, and, and on your own type of work. And I wanted to get away from that for a little bit. So my, I was thinking about law school, potentially. And my college roommate had, um, had gone to um, prep school in uh, Milton, Massachusetts at Milton Academy. And Milton was a school that actually the, the Kennedy children went through, Robert Kennedy's kids in particular went through uh, Milton and he was telling me about life at Milton. And so I was thinking, oh, maybe I might try to find a work in a private school and, and uh, sort of recreate Dead Poet Society or whatever. So uh, there were no real history openings on the East Coast in private schools that particular summer. There were uh, so openings in math. Uh, uh, there was something down in, in New Jersey that I, I, I saw, but um, I chose not to apply for that. So I ended up in late uh, August, uh, unemployed, uh, living at home. Uh, my dad goes to a school board meeting one night. He comes home, and I remember lying in bed and him saying to me, you know, I was chatting about you with my superintendent today. And there's a small elementary school, which is about 30 some miles north of where I live, even closer to the Canadian border, this little backwater town called Reed Plantation. And in uh, Maine, plantations are very small. There are towns of about 150, 200 people. But he says, you know, I, I'm actually, we are taking their, their, uh, their seventh and eighth grade teacher into my school. I'm going to take her on as, a, as, a, as an English teacher. And there's an opening up there and something you could do for a year or so. And he goes, they'll, they'll, they'll hire you. Uh, I guarantee it. They, they, they're a week away from school starting and they have no replacement. And I want to get this teacher on board. So I'm like, I've got nothing to lose. He goes, and I think you're going to like it. because I know you're talking about, you're interested in coaching. So you'd be the boys basketball coach as well. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to teach seventh and eighth grade, all subjects, coach boys basketball. Uh, that's quite a bit, but I'm 22 years old and not married and uh, no, no possible, uh, hopes of marriage at that point, why not? And he says, good, I'll, I'll tell Mr. Spearin, who was the, the superintendent about you. He, he goes out of my bedroom, closes the door, then reopens it and pokes his head back in and says, oh, by the way, I didn't tell you this, you'd also be the principal. The principal, I'm, I just got out of college. So there I was, within a week, I'm the principal of an L, a K-8 school of about 59 students. And uh, I am the youngest person on staff. I know really nothing about what I'm doing, but I had some energy, enthusiasm, and willingness to learn. And I had to learn how to lead uh, and do everything that happens in school. And seriously, I, in addition to teaching all subjects, but uh, music, uh, Evelyn Emery, who was our second and third grade teacher, was a very good piano player. Evelyn actually celebrated like her 98th birthday. She's still with us, but Evelyn, um, and I made a deal where I would take her second and third graders for phys ed and she, and she would take my seventh and eighth graders for music. So we made those like those types of trades. But I ended up uh, coaching the boys basketball. We were not very good, uh, but we had, had a lot of fun. Um, I started a softball program. We started a little local league. Uh, so I chose to be involved with a league. I, uh, we, I created a, some other intramural activities like volleyball. I ran the spelling bee just like my father. Uh, I, did, I swept, I did everything really but cook in the school. Uh, I, did, I learned that, you know, leadership, uh, when you're a leader, there's, there's no job that's beneath you. That really is to me the definition of what leadership's all about if you want to be a true leader and a servant leader. So I had to learn how to do it all. And I stayed in that job for four years and it really was my 
with my training for what would become my profession. The, the thoughts about law school subsided. Uh, my dad and I uh, actually took some graduate courses together, which was a great experience and for certification. And after four years, I returned to my my high school where I taught history and I coached cross country basketball and baseball for three years before moving in 1992 to the southern part of the state about three hours south of where I grew up where I live now and I've been here since 1990. My first uh, my first uh, assignment down here was a uh, high school Bon Eagle High School about 1200 students one of the largest schools in Maine. Again I taught history government modern European history. I basically I, anything that they needed me to teach, I taught. Uh, my department had a lot of people who were very possessive about the courses that they taught. And I told my department leader, Dale Sinclair, just give me whatever's left. I, I, I'll teach whatever. And uh, so I, and trying to be a team player and they had seniority on me. So I understood that. But I taught all those subjects. I coached uh, uh, girls basketball. Uh, I had a great experience doing that. Uh, and help that program go from really a, a struggling to where it was one of, one of the elite programs in the state. Um, from my, again, having a chance to contribute to that. And then um, also uh, took on girls soccer as well. My AD said to me, uh, I need a girls JV coach. And I'm like, I, we didn't have soccer in Lincoln, Maine, where I grew up. I, I don't know really anything about the particulars of it. And before I knew it, I was coaching girls soccer. In fact, the very first uh, girls soccer game I ever saw, I coached in, literally. And, and within five or six years, I became the varsity coach, and that became a, an interest and a passion as well. So um, I, uh, I had those two coaching responsibilities. And we get to around 1996 or so, and our athletic director, a uh, gentleman in the name of John Guyberson, who actually was my landlord for four years, and he introduced me to my future wife. Uh, he, uh, he said, you know, Gary, I, I, I've got to get back to the classroom, the AD work. I've been doing this for 12 years and I'm just really, I'm, I, I've got to do something different. And his son was uh, of age where he was involved in activities and he wanted to be able to watch him and what have you. So John was, uh, hinting that, you know, he, uh, he was going back to the classroom and he, I might think about interviewing for the job. And, um, I had just been hired as the girls. He just hired me as the girls soccer coach. So I was just taking that head coaching position. And then within two weeks, this opportunity comes about. And I realized that he had been training me all along for it. He would uh, have me keep the score at this activity or that. I was public address announcer for baseball games. He'd go to the hockey rink. Hey, what are you doing this afternoon? Want to come with me? So I'd see how you'd manage a hockey game. So he had sort of given me on the job training throughout the whole first six years I was at the school and they hired me and um, I remained there until 2007 um, and again had a great experience had a chance to uh, help uh, build a, a, a with, a, with a head coach we hired in 1998 a football program which is an elite program in Maine as is the one with the school I'm at now in fact we are now big rivals uh, so I feel sort of guilty that I helped on the ground floor at least build a program that now is our biggest impediment to success but uh have great respect for the coach of that program and that experience and going back to that 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 dead poet society dream of working in a private school uh 2007 thornton academy's uh, position opened up and it's again about 20 21 miles from where i live and uh i'd always been looking at at TA is a possible place to go. Uh, we are a private school, we're an independent school, but we're unique in that we, we uh, are what's called a town academy. We serve not only public, uh, a you know, private paying students, but also the public students uh, as our community has no publicly built, paid for high school. They pay tuition for all the kids to come to our, our school here at Thornton. And we've been around since 1811. That's the way it's always been here in, in Saco is local kids go to Thornton Academy. So I'm in a a, a, a situation that is private in structure, but public in law of the delivery of services and our connection with the community. And uh, we just have a, a, just a great coaching staff here, uh, about half of which are alumni. Uh, so I'm in a really good spot and this is where I'm planning to stay for as long as I'm gonna be an AD. Um, the last few years as well, I've been taking on uh, some additional responsibilities uh, as I've, I'm an adjunct professor of uh, sport and exercise science at St. Joseph's College, which is a local school here where I teach uh, during the spring semester, which I'm hoping uh, that will be my uh, post-Thornton 
full-time gig if, if it works out. So that's how, uh, Jake, we got from uh, Lincoln, Maine to this, uh, this uh, opportunity to, to chat with you today. Oh, Gary, it is always just uh, so um, much fun for me to listen to these stories. We've done over 100 of these interviews now, and a significant number of our guests like you um, attribute their, um, th th let's say, their love of athletics and a reason for their success as administrators going all the way back to either in high school or uh, sometimes in college, serving in those managerial and program support roles. It just gives you such a, a, a great experience of how different sports and, and different people operate. Uh, and it was just great hearing, you know, your path. And again, talking about independent schools, you know, I started my career off, you know, public school and, and then did some college coaching, but really the last 25 years have been at, uh, you know, independent or, uh, or faith-based schools. So I certainly know what you're talking about. Another you, um, like I didn't mention, Jake, that uh, it's one of those things that, you know, I think we all take different paths and, and things lead to certain directions and, and our choices dictate sort of our future uh, uh, pathway. Uh, when, I was, when I was going through the college selection process, process, I knew I wanted to go to Boston. I knew what, that's where I wanted to go. I wanted to be in the city environment. And so I also applied at Boston University and have been accepted at, at, at BU as well. And so happened that my, um, my, one, one of our teacher coaches in my high school, a guy named Norman Ford, uh, had a good friend who was uh, coaching basketball at Boston University. He goes, you know, if, he goes, I know, you know, Harvard is your choice, said, that's where your, your heart lies. But if BU becomes where you go because, you know, it's, it's you know, you have about 13% admission rate. So it's, he goes, the odds may not be good for you. He goes, be you, you know, as your, as your other choice, he goes, I can get you onto the basketball staff as a manager. I have a great friend who coaches there, which uh, happened to be Rick Patino at the time. And so I could have been his, his manager. Ironically, one of my classmates would have been uh, Brett Brown, who is uh, obviously just uh, uh, was relieved of his duties with the Philadelphia 76ers. But it's interesting to think of the pathways that, you know, we don't choose and, and where they might have led us. Yeah. Um, you talked a little bit about your dad, and that kind of brings me to my next question. Uh, we also like to hear about the mentors uh, that people have had in our profession, leadership and mentoring is such a big part of it. So um, the expression I like to use is I still hear those voices of my mentors, you know, in my head when I'm talking to a coach or a kid or a parent. So uh, in addition to your dad, you know, whose voice do you still hear? You know, I hear a lot of voices. I would say from my high school years, uh, a couple of key people. Uh, one was uh, Lionel Tracy, who was an English teacher and the boys basketball coach at my high school. Um, he, I hear him a lot in terms of, of uh, the importance of being prepared, organized, uh, stay within yourself, know who you are. Uh, he later went on to become the commissioner of education in uh, the state of New Hampshire, very respected uh, educator in New England. And, uh, and so I hear him as a voice. Uh, also at that time, there was a, a gentleman by the name of Greg Reed, who uh, he coached uh, basketball and, and, uh, and baseball. So I worked with him as his baseball manager. Uh, great storyteller. Uh, a lot of my teaching style, I think um, I took from him because he, uh, he, he was very good at livening up classes and taking things that might seem mundane like uh, uh, Beowulf or Macbeth or King Lear or whatever and really making them come to life and I realized you know that's something that the teacher needs to do is that you need to stir interest in people and, and the coaches need to do the same thing and so he was a very powerful per, uh, mentor for me. I also had the, the pleasure of serving as his assistant coach when I went back to my alma mater in the late 80s. I assisted him in girls basketball and, and, um, and baseball and we still remain uh, uh, in touch mostly through social media but he certainly was was a mentor. In fact, it's ironic because my nickname for him was uh, Mentor. Uh, I stole it from, you might recall, the old uh, Shazam series, uh, the Captain Marvel, whatever that character was. Uh, and he had a, a, an older gentleman who, who uh, was his teacher. He called the Mentor. So I, uh, I took, uh, I, I, that was what I called him. 
Um, as I've gotten into the world of athletic administration, I would say, a lot, you know, I've, I've had so many mentors. It's, it's just, it's, there are too many to mention, but I'll, a few that I would highlight would be certainly within the state of Maine. Um, Marty Ryan, who was our longtime executive director, was the president of the NIAAA. Uh, I had the, the absolute honor of serving as Marty's uh, assistant director. I still hold that position, but when uh, I did that up through the time of his retirement from about 2007 to maybe three years ago. So he, uh, he allowed me to connect and help me find networks with other people within the association. And um, I, I remember the, my first NRAAA conference, which was in 2003 in Indianapolis. And the Indiana Convention Center is right next door to the old RCA dome. I had never been to an NFL game uh, in my life at, up until that point. Um, and uh, uh, we, uh, I had had a chance to get a ticket for the game. Uh, the Colts are playing the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, Marty had told me, you need to be at that section one meeting. It's starting promptly at 4.15 on the calendar. And there are only five people from Maine. I think he wanted to make sure he, he had some support there. And I'm thinking, Marty, the game begins at one and, and what's going on? I, I, you know, he goes, you need to be there. So I actually practiced how long it would take me to get from the RCA dome across the street into the convention center into the room we're going so I could figure exactly what time I would leave the game. And it so happened, the, the game ended right at four o'clock. It was a route. So the last few minutes just sort of flew. It ended right at four o'clock. I, I hustled uh, out of the stadium, across the street, and I was in my seat with uh, two minutes to spare. And uh, so Marty, you know, that pride that he has still has in the organization I think he instilled with me and all, but also he was just a, a wealth of, of context because he was a past president of the association so he certainly knew everybody in section one where where Maine is uh and 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 now a lot of those people have become just absolute dear friends and people I connect with all the time people like Alan Melanda Denny Freeze and Bob Hopeck and Carol Dawsonburn who I know is on one of your your podcasts recently I've just made great connections with those people uh, and many others, and Marty was the key to that. But probably more recently, the, the probably the most powerful mentor has been our current executive director, also a past president, Jerry Durgan. And I, again, I serve with Jerry uh, in, in, our, in a, a role supporting our organization as he is the, the executive director and I as an assistant. And, and Jerry was somebody that saw some, I think, potential in me to serve others um, and I, I remember we, we, we live in the joining uh, communities and we actually happened to share the same hockey rink, our two high schools. And there was one night that I was coming into the rink for maybe an 8.30 game. He might've had a six o'clock game. So his game was over, he's exiting. And I remember him stopping me in the lobby of the University of Southern Maine uh, Ice Arena and say, I, I wanna talk to you for a second. And okay. And you know, usually when Jerry spoke, you listen, he's very respected here in the state. And he goes, have you ever thought of your career goals in this profession? I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, no, have you ever thought like things you want to accomplish in this profession? And again, I was a fairly new AD. I'm just trying to, to tread water and going, you know, week to week and, and, and just do the best I can. And uh, he goes, I want you, he goes, he gave me an assignment. He goes, I want you to write down 10 goals and I want you to email them to me. Or I don't know if we had emailed them. I guess we did. I, I must have emailed them. Otherwise, I would have, I would have hand-delivered them. But uh, to Jerry, because when Jerry spoke, you listen. But uh, he goes, no, I want you to write down 10 goals. And so I started thinking about it. And I mentioned things like certification and maybe being the president of my league someday. And, and uh, even wrote uh, being president of our state association someday. And uh, sent them to him. And, and as it turns out, I achieved nine of them the the president of the state association, I never got to because I moved from first vice president to my current role when I was on the board. So I would have been on if 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 uh, if Jerry, who had been our assistant director, had stayed one more year, I would have achieved that goal as well. And so Jerry got me thinking about you know setting goals and and and, and that's something that's really has guided me since. Uh, he also uh, was on the publications committee at the time, and he sought me out as an author for a piece. And uh, he sent me something in the mail, you know, I'd like you to, to write on this topic. And it was a, it was an AA speak out uh, piece. It was like, they, they give you a prompt and you had, a, you had to write a couple paragraphs. In fact, I hand wrote it. I, I can't believe I turned something that was handwritten as opposed to typed, which uh, now everything I send to the IAA is always obviously typed. 
but uh, I hand wrote it and said it was published. And so you go back to late 90s, you'll find uh, an AA speak out piece for me uh, where I had much darker hair and more hair there too. I still see the picture that was taken for that. But uh, it got me thinking about, you know, contributing and that I had a voice in the organization. I wasn't just somebody tucked up in Maine that nobody knew or nobody wanted to hear from. And when the publications committee had an opening, when Jerry moved on to the board, he encouraged me to apply. And I applied and I was accepted. And my very first meeting, they encouraged me to write an article. And then all of a sudden I became connected with all sorts of new mentors. People like uh, Johnny Evers, uh, who was uh, the, co the assistant chair of the committee at the time. Roy Turner, has done outstanding work in North Carolina, one of the nation's finest in the, uh, and an NIAAA Hall of Famer. The, the great uh, Dr. John Foley, Jack Foley, is a wonderful, wonderful gentleman uh, and mentor, and so many others. And so I, I got involved in writing for the, the writing articles for the uh, for the, for the, the magazine, because uh, as we had our brainstorming sessions, if you threw out an idea, they would say, write about it. That way, I mean, the only way you're not going to write is if you keep your mouth shut. And I, I, I kept involved with the discussion, and they said, write about it. So that just sort of led to, again, connections with all sorts of people from around the country and other potential mentors. And I think I, I still have all sorts of mentors, but I think I'm now at the stage of my career where I find myself giving back and mentoring others, which is how this profession works. We're a, a reciprocal organization. So those be a few people that sort of got me along the path uh, to service that I believe in so strongly. You know, again, I really appreciate you sharing that. And to our listeners, uh, I encourage you to go to the NIAAA website and go back and look at those archival articles um, and again, not just from Gary, although I will tell you that he is a significant and has been and continues to be a significant contributor, you know, to the resources that are available to all of us. So, uh, you know, again, Gary, thanks for doing that. Um, one of the things we like to do with our podcast is to share this idea of best practices. And uh, I know you've been at a lot of schools. Uh, and uh, as you shared already, you've certainly made your mark uh, on each of them. But um, maybe pick out, uh, you know, at least one, maybe two uh, things that either at Thornton or at one of your other stops that you're particularly proud of that you can say with a humble pride, uh, boy, we do this better than anybody in the country. Well, again, I think one of those things with best practices is that you're constantly refining your practices. So I'm never satisfied that I have come up with the answer. I've come up with perhaps an answer for that time. So I'm into prophecies of improvement. It's interesting, just before we uh, did this, uh, uh, started this podcast, I was working on a booklet uh, on, uh, or actually a playbook on having interns. And it actually, was, it branched off a, a, um, a session I attended at the National Conference uh, by two friends, Scott Jarvis and Dr. Scott Smith. And uh, uh, I think it now, since starting it about a week ago, I think I have changed things seven, eight times. But, uh, and I expect it to change the next time I look at it. So to me, uh, it's, a, it's, you know, it's the idea of best practices also implies there's a process that continues after you think you've completed the document or what you're doing. But I would say the thing I'm most proud of, frankly, uh, and it's something that's become a passion of mine, particularly in the last six, seven years is developing plans, protocols for managing after-school safety. That's become a real passion of mine. In fact, now I work with Jay Hammes uh, and Joey Struy and Mike Galino as national faculty members of LTC 630 within the NIAAA uh, Leadership Training Institute. Jay and I um, actually uh, uh, taught 630 uh, uh, just a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, my interest really, it started around 2013, which uh, in that spring, actually probably even going back to late 2012. Um, in 2012, uh, I was at the National Conference of San Antonio. My wife and I were out touring and we happened to be uh, in a, a museum and a television was on in the gift shop. And uh, uh, they were showing the, uh, the, uh, the footage, the coverage of a, 
an unfortunate school shooting uh, in Newtown, Connecticut, at a place called Sandy Hook, um, which involved obviously numerous elementary children and teachers. And uh, we're not that far from Newtown, Connecticut. I can drive to Newtown, Connecticut, probably from where I am in about three and a half, four hours. Uh, it's not that far away. A few months later, um, that April, we have the Boston Marathon bombing. And, uh, you know, again, Boston is even closer. I'm less than 100 miles from, from the start line and the finish line of the Boston Marathon as I, as I see here today. Um, and it really hit home when one of my coaches, John Provost, who uh, uh, has, a, has a daughter who lives in Boston, he, he coaches softball for us. And later that week, I, I saw him at the practice field. He looked shaken up. His face was almost ashen. And I'm like, what's happened? John usually is outgoing, jovial, what have you. He goes, you will not believe what happened to me Monday. He goes, I went down to Boston. Uh, uh, and he, he sort of you know, I stopped. And I'm like, you were down in Boston on Monday? He goes, yeah. He goes, I was visiting my daughter. I said, were you anywhere near the marathon? He goes, I went to the marathon. He goes, we were standing at the very spot where the bombs went off just probably 20 minutes before they went off. And then they went, he went, got to the subway and the subway was, was held up while they were trying to uh, sort through the chaos. And finally he was let off and at street level, he learned what happened, but he, he was a narrow escape. And uh, it got me really thinking about, you know, bad things can happen. And I immediately called in my school resource officer and I called in my, um, I called in the tactical officer for our local police department whose kid was a student athlete in our program. And I'm like, if, if that happened at one of my athletic events, I don't know what we do. And they're like, uh, this is what you're gonna do, Gary. So first of all, if something happened at your athletic event, please understand it's a crime scene. So you're no longer in charge, the police will be. But we began building a plan for managing a whole range of types of, of situations. It so happened around the same time I was going on the NIAAA board and Bruce Whitehead, who was the executive director of the, of the time, my very first board meeting says, hey, we have an opportunity here to send a representative from the board down to the University of Southern Mississippi. They have this group called NCS4, National Center for Spectator Sports Safety and Security. And uh, they like to have a representative of the board. They like to have a relationship with NIAAA. Well, I'd never been to... Uh, Mississippi before, or certainly not the University of Southern Mississippi, but I got thinking about my project I was working on. And in fact, at the same time, I was pursuing a master's where a capstone project was about our safety security plan here at TA. So uh, I went down uh, as a guest. Uh, I had a chance to meet Lou Marciani, who was their director at the time, and other people on the staff, and um, had a chance to see what their programming was all about. And it was almost like as I was finishing up this capstone project for a, a master's I was doing, uh, I was taking the final exam because I was getting all sorts of best practices and helped build a best practice booklet. In fact, the product that we created is here uh, and they put out a new edition every year. And I've, I've, been, to, I've been to three of their interscholastic summits. Uh, I actually have been a facilitator at one. I've spoken at a couple of them. And uh, now work with them as a co-chair um, of their interscholastic advisory committee. Also had a chance to work with that organization to uh, help develop an online class uh, that was myself and uh, director of security from a school in Charlotte, North Carolina, as well as a uh, facilities manager in Texas. We developed a free online class paid for by Department of Homeland Security grants. Uh, that anybody can take through USM. You can even get, uh, you can get, I think, 0.55 CEUs. So you can say that you've, you've gone to the same university as Brett Favre and Jimmy, Jimmy Buffett, if you want. So it's, uh, it's a, it's a, my, my point is that all these opportunities have helped me develop what I think is a pretty detailed, yet fluid, constantly evolving safety security plan for my school. And through working with Southern Mississippi and, and also working with Jay Hammis with the Safe Sports Zone, that's become a real passion of mine. And uh, I do a lot of writing and research and, uh, and, and generate a lot of programming related to that. You know, that's just fantastic. You mentioned, uh, you showed the document uh, and you mentioned the free class. Can you share that uh, with our listeners? Where would they go to um, uh, at least... The, check out the free class and maybe even get that uh, document. 
Right. Well, the document can be downloaded free of charge. This is a this is a service of the NCS4. Um, and again, it's it's as I said, good planning is evolving. So they do a new edition every year. So when they convene in a new uh, group of people into their, into their summit, they take the current document and revise it. So it's constantly being updated. If you went to uh, the University of Southern Mississippi website, but more specifically, www.ncs4, the numeral4.com, www.ncsnumeral4.com, it will take you right into that organization's website and all their resources. You will find re free resources you can download. You will also find, um, uh, again, at, you can be able to access that course. And it's one of those uh, deals where you, you, uh, you access the course and you have a certain amount of time to complete it. Uh, and then your time expires. So you'd have to start from the beginning. And if you leave off in a with a certain module, when you resume your activity, you, you start back up where you left off. As I said, what's great about the course is that it is geared towards high school people, in particular high school athletic administrators. Uh, uh, all the best practices that I believe in, uh, you can find there. In fact, you can essentially find my, my school's plans. You'll see, you'll see a, pictures of my school. Some, some of the activities, the interactive types of activities that uh, are, are done are using maps and what have you. And they cover all sorts of different situations that might happen in a school. But I think the, the map of my stadium they, the exercise more specifically is where would you place security uh, if you could? And you actually get to manipulate um, little dots and slide them into places and they give you feedback on your performance. So it's a very interactive course. Uh, takes you about five and a half hours, but it's, uh, I think it's very interesting, very pertinent and a great uh, feather to have in your cap because it gets you thinking about what you would do within your own school. And as I said, the resources there that I've shared that we use here at Thornton, where people can uh, uh, see what we're doing in our school. And then again, since every good plan is venue specific, you need to tailor it towards you know, your own needs. Oh, well, I appreciate you sharing selfishly. It just gave me something to do uh, when I get back to school. One more time, uh, give our listeners that website. Yes, if you go to www.ncs numeral4.com it will take you right into the website where you can get not only the access to the course i referenced but a lot of their other materials and they have other trainings too i i, I we've not taken advantage of this here at thornton but you can train your staff uh, your game day staff your ticketing staff to be certified uh, game day professionals they have a certification process as well for, for a fee uh, for those services, but there are a whole host of resources that you can take advantage of there. Yeah, really appreciate you sharing that. Um, even though, and, and for our listeners, we're recording this episode uh, uh, December 29th, so we're not quite into the next year yet, but uh, uh, we still have to talk about COVID. And so, uh, Gary, we've been asking our ADs, uh, we know that things change. Hopefully, you know, they're going to be changing for the better. And by the time we're listening to this, uh, things have changed, but for right now, December 29th, what's happening in Maine, what's happening at Thornton with regards to uh, return to play as well as return to school with academics? What's going on? Well, just like most schools in the country, uh, Jake, uh, around March 12th or 13th, we went to fully remote mode and we had no spring season whatsoever. In fact, uh, my world, my life really as for all of us was changing that date. And I found myself involved in a never ending spiral of, of developing plans that were either shelved or had to be rebuilt. Uh, it was certainly, a, it's been a, a whirlwind experience. Uh, in Maine, uh, schools were allowed to return to some summer activities, uh, namely conditioning uh, uh, and eventually some, some, some small sided work with the, with the ball or what have you, uh, beginning early, July. There were some parts of Maine, particularly my part in the southern part of the state, where uh, we have a higher incident of COVID than in the northern uh, reaches, where we did nothing in the summer whatsoever. And uh, so we didn't have a chance to do that, that training. Um, around early September, uh, schools were coming back to session, and, and they've come in a whole variety of different ways. Our school, for example, and we, we're one of the largest schools in Maine. We have around 1,400 high school kids here and a small middle school as well that joins us that uh, is under our wing. Um, we are a, a, a hybrid model where we have half the students uh, 
meeting in person two days a week. Um, and then two additional days a week, the other half of the students, the other half of the alphabet is, is uh, in person. And then one day we're fully remote. Those students that are remote at Thornton um, on a given day, actually uh, connecting with their teacher who conducts the class both in person for those who are in front of him or her and virtually for those who are behind the screen. And we've been operating that way uh, since the first of September. We actually had to shut down for a month. We had an outbreak here, starting with three people, which was a, a de was defined as an outbreak in Maine. Within two days, it was 11 people. And so we were fully remote for a month. Now, while this is happening, you know, our State Athletic Association was opening up the opportunity for athletics here and in, in, in the fall. Uh, athletics primarily was uh, soccer, um, field hockey, cr cross-country golf, uh, resembled themselves. Volleyball was allowed to be outdoor only, but essentially either drill work or <clears throat> schools could get together and play a, an outdoor game, but not you're not playing for any championship or anything. It's more just the the activity and seven on seven football, which essentially uh, is uh, you know your skill players uh, doing their, their their summer work and they were doing that throughout the whole season. We were on hold here at Thornton uh, at the beginning of the season because Maine has set up a county by county system and they have a traffic light designation for each county of green, yellow, red, and that tells you what you need to do academically. So red is fully remote, green is full. You can go fully face-to-face -face and yellow, you're a hybrid. If you're yellow or red, uh, academically, athletically, that meant you cannot begin. And we remain in yellow until around Columbus Day, which meant we had four weeks of the season left while the rest of the state was doing something. And there were schools that were starting and stopping based upon the instance of COVID within their school or opponents that had, had experienced, et cetera. So finally, we were able to resume and begin our practices and our protocols, all the things we'd prepared for. And, you know, we had the, the, uh, the screening mechanisms in place. We had the, I call them go kits that we give to all of our coaches for cleaning, sanitizing, and all those types of activities. We had our practice plans built. We had our busing organized to shuttle uh, people uh, between us and other schools. And, and most of our opponents were fairly close. So uh, our varsity and JV team, which normally would travel together, they would just they would go in a shuttle mode, uh, which would help save some resources. So we had it all set. And then three weeks into our season, or heading into our last week, uh, there was an outbreak, which shut the school down fully. It shut the school down from face-to-face -face for a month, and our season was over. So we had a three-week fall. Uh, they were the best three weeks for us, for sure, for the school year. It was great to hear the noises of athletics, hearing uh, laughter. Uh, hearing cheering, hearing excitement, hearing coaches coach. Um, the sounds were great because it was it just been so quiet before. And it's been very quiet since. Um, now, as we move into the winter season, um, Maine put things on hold until December. And now we're working very much in concert with our, our state governing agencies, uh, namely DOE, uh, our Department of Health and Human Services, our community sports group, governor's office. And so community sports guidelines that exist for recreation, club, non-school activities now are used for school. And uh, most schools in Maine began uh, a couple weeks before Christmas uh, in a skills and drills mode and conditioning. And that's where we are right now. We're not gonna be allowed until uh, after vacation to even begin doing any type of drill work where you play defense or people are in close contact. It's all socially distanced using a lot of sanitization of equipment, et cetera. Uh, unfortunately, again, the rules on the county designation still hold. And right now, I believe four of our counties in Maine are yellow while the other 12 are green. So they can have activities we cannot. And uh, our next traffic light is going to be flashed this Thursday. And our numbers have been ticking up in our county. Uh, in fact, they've gone from 12 to 15 cases in our county. And we have about 204,000 people in this county. Maine is about 1.3 million. We're a pretty small state, generally speaking, population-wise. But um, we were like 12 to 15 cases when we were starting to be able to go back to play in the fall. And uh, today's caseload was somewhere around 125. And it's been consistently in the 100s for most of the last week. So um, we're not 
very optimistic about us being able to start uh, right after vacation. And so it's the, it's the waiting game as it was in the fall for that traffic light to turn green. But in the meantime, we're prepping our coaches, prepping our parents, prepping our students, prepping ourselves because there may come a time we have to turn the switch on and be ready to go. So I've been, that's what I, that's my weekly, my, a lot of my weekly work is preparing to go knowing that the chances are it's not going to be this week. What, um, uh, and again, I apologize, I should know this. Uh, what's been the response in the neighboring states, you know, uh, you know, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, or, or uh, I know out in California, you know, they're a much bigger state and, and they've chosen not to do any sports, but the neighboring states are, are almost full go. So uh, what are your neighboring states like and how does that go over with your folks in Maine? Well, New Hampshire has been certainly um, more active than we have. And in fact, a lot of people in Maine were, were pointing to New Hampshire, look, they're, they're, they're playing tackle football, they're going to make it a go. Uh, but they, like all over this country, they had stops and starts in individual communities as their outbreaks or, or issues occurred. Um, and for us, we actually play a number of games in New Hampshire in our exhibition season. Again, we're a very, we're a strong program, particularly in football. And it's sometimes hard for us to play, to find opponents. So we, for, especially at the sub-varsity level and, and exhibition, for exhibition games, we will play schools from New Hampshire, Massachusetts. It's, we are exit 36 of the main turnpike. We're 36 miles from the New Hampshire line. So it, it's not a long trip for us. So um, we actually, you know, we lost some, had we been able to go uh, with tackle football, we would, you know, that was some opportunities lost as well because they were playing. Um, Vermont, interestingly enough, has really worked, we've sort of mimicked what they've done. Uh, the idea of the outdoor volleyball, the, the seven on seven football. Uh, I first heard that from Vermont and uh, Vermont and Maine have always had a kinship uh, historically, very similar type of people. Uh, I told you I'm a history guy. In fact, we're the only two states that didn't vote for Franklin Roosevelt in 1936. Uh, but Maine and Vermont were the holdouts that particular year. But uh, we, we've had uh, this connection and kinship, I guess, if you will. And so we followed their model. And again, they're a state that have, you know, is broken up by the mountains. So you have a lot more isolation in some of those communities and villages. Um, so we've been, we've been watching those states in particular. And again, New Hampshire has been the one that a lot of people who are very um, avid that we resume activities, uh, they point to as we can do it, look what they're doing, where Vermont has, for those who are a little more cautious in their approach, has been the model. Well, I hope it uh, starts to trend in a more positive way and that y'all can get uh, out there on the fields uh, and the pitches, uh, you know, as springtime takes a hold and, you know, 2021 finally gets here. Uh, Gary, this has just been wonderful. Uh, you know, we've, uh, you know, crossed paths many times, but this is the first time really I had a chance to sit down and, and get to know you. It's just been great. But we're not done yet. Uh, we always like to wrap up with what we call the athletic director's toolbox. Now, you know, you're certainly an experienced AD, very successful AD, but right now I'm going to challenge you to send out a brand new athletic director on their very first job, but I'm only going to let you put three things in their toolbox. So my question is, what three items are going to go in Gary Stevens' athletic director toolbox? Uh, I think the number one thing that has to be in your toolbox is the the uh, ability to listen. That is number one. That's a tool. You know, especially when you come into a school that you're not familiar with, uh, you may not understand the culture of the community, and you don't want to step on toes that are unnecessary. You want to get off to a good start. So I think having the ability to listen is the most important tool you have. There's the old expression that we were given uh, um, uh, two ears and one mouth for a reason. And I think, you know, that's one thing I learned, especially coming to this school. And I was a veteran AD. I had 11 years in, uh, which is a, that's a fairly lengthy career these days. And I had a sense of what to do in terms of the day-to-day, -day, but I didn't know Thornton Academy. And I, I think my, my headmaster, Carl Stasio at the time, he asked me um, what my entry plan was going to be. And I'd never been asked that before. What is my entry plan? And Carl, another great mentor I should have mentioned before, a great leader who saw the big picture. So I spent my first year just listening. I brought every coach in, every head coach in, and sat them down, and I just 
Let them go. Sort of like what you're doing with me today. Tell me about yourself. Tell me about your program. What are your needs? And I took notes. And, you know, I still have those notes with me to this day. I keep them right next to me. And, and in fact, this drawer I'm uh, right next to me here at my desk. And they keep me grounded. They take me back to where I, I was. So uh, I think the ability to listen is a tool that every athletic minister needs because uh, even if you're a veteran AD, you do not know it all and you never will know it all. And you need to understand your, your community and what, uh, what the, 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 the community mores are, what the traditions are. And again, Thornton Athletics, we, we started in 1811. Maine wasn't even a state. It was Massachusetts, uh, Par Mass at that time. Um, and uh, we've had athletics since 1893. So I'm just, I'm a, a, a small part of a big tradition and I have to keep that in mind. So I think listening uh, with the idea of using that to grow and, and help yourself enter into the school is, is really, really critical. A second tool that I would suggest is, uh, and it's sort of tied in a little bit with the first one, is find a key individual of influence and respect that will help mentor you uh, as you're trying to mentor others. Uh, and I think for every person, that's going to be a different situation. It could be a senior coach in your staff, somebody who knows the landscape. Maybe it's a coach who's been an athletic administrator. When I was at Bon Eagle High School, for example, I had mentioned Brett Brown earlier. His dad, Bob Brown, who also coached at, uh, at BU, both for Patino and then on his own for a few years, legendary basketball person in the state of Maine, one of the one of the great basketball minds in the history uh, of this of this particular state. He's in the New England Basketball Hall of Fame, the Maine Basketball Hall of Fame, just a very um, decorated and, and able person. I He's my first basketball coach I have to work with. He knows more about this job than I do. He had been an AD. So I actually, a lot of my materials that I was created started with a handbook. Uh, I was trying to develop a handbook, which again, allowed me to uh, jot down my ideas, my philosophy, where I wanted the, the organization to go. He edited it for me. And I got back a lot of comments, a lot of red ink, but it was, it was, it was a positive red ink because he's just giving me different ideas to think about. So when, when I started at Bonnie Eagle, my first AD job, it was, uh, it was Bob Brown. When I started as a principal at age 22, it was my dad because he'd been a principal as well. So he, he was the mentor. And here at Thornton, I would say uh, the person I probably rely on the most is our head football coach, Kevin Kiesel, who is a very highly decorated coach. He's won four state titles in this decade, winning his coach in the history of this program, which again goes back to the 1890s. And I also know with Kevin, if, if he thinks it's a good idea, chances are most everybody else thinks it's a good idea. Or if he finds a, a pitfall, um, then I know what I need to work on. So he's my sounding board a lot because he understands those traditions and he is really the senior coach on staff, if you will. So I think, again, the second tool I would put is find somebody to bounce ideas off from. And again, it's going to be somebody that you trust. It's somebody that you're willing to take um, some criticism for uh, or from uh, that can help you become better. And like I said, I am 59 years old. I've been an AD for 25 years, and I still bounce ideas off of Kevin Kiesel. Uh, when I see Bob Brown... I still consider him a mentor, and, and uh, the, the, the spirit of my father, who, is, uh, who passed away about 30 years ago, still is with me. So uh, those mentors are, are, are critical. So I, that would be the second thing that I would, uh, I would do. The third tool that I, I found very helpful, and probably, and this is maybe a little different uh, way of thinking than maybe some of your other guests have, but uh, another person of influence that I think you need to work with I think obviously my, my assistant AD is my, my certified athletic trainer. Uh, that's not his title. That's not what he's paid to do, but he essentially is my assistant AD. And so I think forming a connection with a certified athletic trainer is critical because, you know, one of our major goals and one of our legal duties in AD is to provide a safe uh, playing environment. And I think having a connection with and being willing to use the services of your certified athletic trainer addresses that in terms of making sure that we're addressing all the safety components, but also they're critical in terms of other things that you may have to do. I mentioned the safety security plan earlier. His voice is in that plan. Things that he would see as important are in, in that plan because he is, he's really the, the eyes of our athletic program. He, he knows every student. 
I like to think I know, know, know almost every student. He does. He's probably the one person that knows everybody because he has to work with them all in terms of, of, of uh, taking care of them. So, you know, he, he's helped me develop a number of doctors. During this COVID experience, uh, he has attended all staff meetings. Uh, we've had some league meetings where I've invited him. We, we, we've been developing some documents for how we're going to manage like a basketball game during COVID or manage a soccer game. So our league has developed some very specific materials. I've invited him to attend those meetings because I get that other set of eyes, that other voice. It's somebody who's on that sideline that sees, sees what's going on. So I think making sure you have a, 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 you know, a good connection and use the services of your certified athletic trainer, or if you don't have a certified athletic trainer, find out who is going to support you in providing that safe playing environment for kids. And, you know, small communities, they may rely on the school nurse or a local doc or, or uh, EMT or whatever, but you've got to find out who that person is because they just address so many areas uh, that ultimately can impact you, obviously legally if something goes wrong, but most importantly, the safety and security of the kids and the coaches, uh, they have their back. So that, that would be my, my toolkit. And I, I guess all three of them really fall, Jake, into the idea of relationships because the relationships have helped me craft all the individual tools that I use on a daily basis. No, I, I really appreciate you sharing those. Again, listening, mentoring, great, but I'm so glad you mentioned uh, that athletic trainer because, uh, as you mentioned, we like to feel that we know all of our student athletes, but uh, uh, I guarantee you there are no uh, secrets from that athletic trainer. You know, they know exactly what's going on. Uh, and we've certainly blessed in my school. We have a great one. She, uh, she really does a great job. Gary, thanks so much for sharing. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Well, it's great uh, being here with you, uh, Jake, as well. I appreciate the service that you're providing. Again, uh, in this, I think one of the outcomes of, of COVID-19 is we've learned how these virtual tools uh, can help uh, create relationships and connections with people that we never met. Uh, uh, you know, I mentioned Scott Jarvis earlier. Scott and... Uh, uh, Dr. Dustin Smith out of Arkansas. I, I've never met them personally, but we've been involved with a couple of workshops through the NIAAA. Scott was on a podcast I've been hosting here since May 5th. Uh, and he was a regular attendee and a, and a guest occasionally. So we built a connection there. And then I was actually invited to uh, attend a, a program put on by my good friend, Doug Kilgore in Arkansas. And I saw Dustin Smith uh, in action. And I'm like, I want to work with that guy. He is a young superstar bright he's he's got great interpersonal skills so i reached out to them and we've collaborated on a couple of projects and and i just think that's been one of the one of the gifts of the pandemic is that these tools have allowed us to have these forms where people share ideas and and build new friendships that we know are only going to be stronger when we have a chance to be together again mm-hmm. well doug and dustin have both been guests on the podcast I'm, i've got scott on the uh uh to be recorded later uh, Gary, if our listeners wanted to reach out to you and pick your brain, what's the best way to get in touch with you? I'll give you a, a few ideas uh, if you want. First of all, my I'll give you my direct cell phone number. I have no problem t- ever taking a call from a colleague. And frequently I've presented, I always have my cell phone up on the on the screen. And and I will, when I come back home after a national conference, I'll get a call from somebody from Minnesota or, or uh, Nevada who I want to talk to you about what you talked about, which I welcome that. It makes me better AD too. So it's it, it's, it's mutually beneficial, uh, but most importantly, it's, it's just great to be able to serve. My cell phone number is 207-671-4578. Again, Maine has just one area code, although we're growing, we might get a second. It's 207 for now, 671-4578. My email is gary dot s-t-e-v-e-n-s at thorntonacademy.org and thornton has an n in there which can be uh oftentimes missed by people says t-h-o-r-n-t-o-n-a-c-a-d-e-m-y all one word dot org and uh would invite you to follow me on twitter as well at capital g-a-r-y capital s-t-e all caps t-a-a-d gary stee t-a-a-d and you can see what's going on at thornton academy we use our our social media to promote what's going on here and um, I have some history posts. Um, I, I posted a, a basketball game that took place, I think, 99 years ago today here at Thornton this morning. So you can find out what the score of that game was if you want. And some other fun things that we put up there. 
I was going to mention your Twitter account. Those are just some cool things to uh, see. And if you, even if your school only has a, a brief history, um, uh, I encourage you to do something like that because that's where the kids are now. They're on Twitter. They're going to see that stuff and you'll definitely get some feedback. Yeah, and it's, it's great that we get a lot of feedback that uh, the kids to, to see their name on the tweets. It's a big thing to them. And mm -hmm. uh, if I miss something, I hear it as well. So it, there's a responsibility that goes into that as well. It's not always uh, uh, it's, it's not always easy, but you try to do your best to promote as best you can. Yeah. Well, Gary, thanks again to our listeners. Uh, remember, uh, these Zoom recordings are also being uploaded to the FIAAA Educational Athletic Director YouTube channel. Uh, thanks again for listening. Come back again next time for another episode of the Educational AD.